Acts chapter 12. And this is going to be, you just if you could just bring that down a little bit, Mitch, this is going to be our last session on prayer. I told you there would be an end. And uh, I think we're, we're uh, there. So <clears throat> I wanted to conclude with uh, some encouraging words as well as some direction in terms of how then ought we to pray. Uh, we've talked a lot about the theological basis for prayer in the scripture. We uh, talked a little bit about controversial issues connected with prayer. I focused a great deal, particularly on what I will refer to as the charismatic issues. We can speak more directly about those matters if you have uh, concerns or thoughts about that. But you got a sense of where I'm at, where Beth Ariel is uh, at. And then there's always specific issues to be thinking about when we do pray with individuals. I sort of think of those kinds of things as social graces in prayer for others. And those were the kind of comments, like I said, about not monopolizing, not praying, uh, so such long prayers that people are kept from mingling with other people, um, being careful not to inquire too deeply into what people would like us to be in prayer about, uh, things of that sort. I would refer to those kinds of things as just social graces. Uh, you're meeting someone for the very first time, perhaps. They've come forward to say, I'd like you to pray with me about whatever it is. And uh, that's what we need to be, be about. And we need to be careful not to overstep um, our invitation to connect with this individual. That's a social grace issue, and sometimes it's hard to help people understand um, those sort of dynamics. But they have to be encountered and appreciated when you're meeting with people, when you're ministering to people, especially strangers, and, um, uh, and considering that all that goes on in that day, uh, beginning with the service to afterwards and fellowship, will contribute to whatever is going on in that person's life, and it's not just that moment of prayer. So we've talked about theological issues. We've talked about controversial issues. We've talked a little bit about social graces. Those kinds of things will constantly be, need to be re revisited, reflected on, requestioned, and uh, rediscovered. So it's never like we, uh, we got it all together, now we're ready to go. It's a learning process from beginning to end. But we need to start somewhere. So uh, tonight, I really wanted to conclude with sort of a summary, challenge, encouragement kind of a uh, kind of a thing. And so I I concluded this section by calling it "How then ought we to go about our ministry of prayer?" And to think of the things uh, associated with prayer in a more general fashion, I thought we'd take a look at what transpired as a result of a praying body of believers as recorded in Acts chapter 12. So let me just read these verses and then we'll uh, focus attention here on it. It said, Now about that time Herod the king laid hands on some who belonged to the congregation in order to mistreat them. And he had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. When he saw that it pleased the Jewish people, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread, the time of Passover. When he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him to four squads of soldiers to guard him, 
intending after the Passover to bring him out before the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but prayer for him was being made fervently by the believers, uh, the body of believers, the gathered body to God. On the very night when Herod was about to bring him forward, so this would be seven days later, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and guards in front of the door were watching over the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared and a light shone in the cell and he struck Peter's side and woke him up saying, get up quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, gird yourself, put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and continued to follow. And he did not know that that what was being done by the angel was real. But he thought he was seeing a vision. And when they had passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate that leads into the city, which opened for them by itself. And they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. And when Peter came to himself, he said, Now I know for sure that the Lord has sent forth his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. And when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who is also called Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gate, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. When she recognized Peter's voice, because of her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter was standing in front of the gate. They said to her, you're out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. They kept saying, it is his angel. But Peter continued knocking. And when they opened the door, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had led him out of the prison. And he said, report these things to James and the brethren. Then he left and he went to another place. Now, when day came, there was no small disturbance among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. When Herod had searched for him and had not found him, he examined the guards and ordered that they be led away to execution. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and was spending time there. Now he was very angry with the people of Tyre and Sire, and with one accord they came to him, and having won over Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they were asking for peace because their country was fed by the king's country. On an appointed day, Herod, having put on his royal apparel, took his seat on the rostrum and began delivering an address to them. The people kept crying out, the voice of a god, not of a man. And immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give God the glory and he was eaten by worms and died. Verse 24, but the word of the Lord continued to grow and to be multiplied. So just an incredible chapter, right? And uh, just to think of what transpired, Peter's in prison for a week. He uh, now comes time to get him out of prison by uh, Herod is coming to get him out of prison to execute him. And before that takes place uh, at night, Peter's asleep. An angel of the Lord comes, kicks him, you know, and says, get up. And Peter doesn't even know it's an angel. He doesn't think it's real. He thinks he's experiencing a vision of some kind. And, uh, and he follows. He gets past the first guard, gets past the second guard. Then he gets out into the street. The angel leaves him there. And now he, it says he comes to himself. He realizes, wow, this is real. 
and he's out in the streets of Jerusalem, so he makes his way over to the household of Mary, and the people are praying for him. And while they're praying, Peter's knocking on the door, and when they answer the door, uh, or when Rhoda, the servant girl, answers the door and says it's Peter, they don't believe her. Even though they're praying for Peter to be delivered, they're still, they're not really expecting their prayers to be answered, I guess, because he's, they don't expect it to be Peter. When they see that it is, they're amazed. And then Peter explains to them and he takes off. Of course, then Herod's very upset with the fact that his key prisoner is gone, so he executes the guards that were trusted to him. And then we read of this other episode, but I wanted to get to that verse, verse 24, where it says, the word of the Lord began to uh, grow and be multiplied or to impact on people's lives. So four things I'd just like to uh, draw from this section, from this passage, principally verse 5 where it says, while Peter was kept in prison, but prayer for him was being made fervently by the church of God. So here's a couple of things that, uh, that strike me. First of all, in Acts 12, verse 5, it says that prayer was offered earnestly. And so the kind of praying they were praying was not frivolous praying. It wasn't sort of uh, an immediate prayer before something occurs giving acknowledgement to God and calling upon his uh, blessing. But the text says that they earnestly uh, prayed. And the Greek word that is translated earnestly means to be stretched out. Now, interestingly, the King James Version, uh, they translate it with the sense of without ceasing. That is to say that when they prayed, they prayed without ceasing. They didn't stop praying. And the idea of being stretched out that the King James translators of 1611 had in mind was that time was stretched out and thus they continued to pray and did not stop to pray. But they probably have the meaning wrong because this word is never used this way in the New Testament. Rather, it is a pictorial word speaking about the soul being stretched out or being, um, being thinned out or the soul being worked hard is, is uh, the idea. The, the thought is that of intensity, concentration, focus, and deliberate uh, beseeching of God for a very specific uh, request or a specific, uh, specific need. So here's some verses where this word is used and how it's translated. So in Luke chapter 22, verse 44, and I think these are New International, it says, in being in anguish, that's the word that is uh, being used there, and being stretched out. And we're told what that stretching out was like. It says, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. So uh, the, the anguish or the agony of his soul led him to pray more intensely more deliberately, more focused, uh, and with greater fervency. And the intensity of his prayer was so great that accompanying his prayer was the sweating of, of drops of blood as his body is going through uh, great agony. In Jeremiah, Jeremiah says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with your whole heart. Uh, this is the meaning. It's not the same word that's used now in the Old Testament. But that's the sense, seeking God with your whole heart, praying 
fervently, earnestly, praying with your whole heart, being fully engaged in what is being requested and therefore what it is we are actually praying. In Romans chapter 15, uh, Paul says, I urge you, brothers, by our Lord Yeshua, the Messiah, by the love of the Spirit, to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. And um, the a better translation, and that that's the New International Translation, but a better translation is, now I beseech you, brethren, by our Lord Yeshua, the Messiah, and by the love of the Spirit, that you all strive together with me in your prayers to God. So when he... The other translation gives you the idea of join me in my struggle. So what's his struggle? The struggle is to get to Rome. And so join me in my struggle about getting to Rome and pray I get there. But that's really not the correct translation of the verse. The translation really means to join me in praying strugglingly, you know, but not struggling in the sense of it's hard to pray about this matter, but rather in the sense of Pray fervently, earnestly, intensely, like a wrestler would engage in a bout, like a boxer would engage in a boxing match. Be fully focused, be fully engaged, and be emotionally stirred deeply by the uh, by pr in prayer for me that I will get to Rome. Don't make this just a casual. Um, request to God when you find the time to pray for me, but rather make this the a central focus of your spiritual discipline in prayer, and that your prayer with me would not just be momentary, but would be uh, fully, you'd be fully engaged. And so the meaning is to strive in prayer. Uh, prayer Paul is asking that they wrestle together in prayer. And, uh, in fact, this word of where he says uh, to strive together is soon agonizo. And so the preface soon means together with or together. And, of course, uh, agonizo comes from the word agone, which we get the word to agonize. So the first point is that, um, as Acts 12, 5 is saying, so Peter was kept in prison, but prayer for him was being made fervently, earnestly, strivingly, focused, and uh, intensely. They weren't giving up. They were spending all night in prayer and maybe all day. Maybe they had teams so that for 24 hours, these uh, individuals were engaged in prayer. And uh, perhaps they were... Um, and I think we've all been in congregations where that kind of thing has happened. Where, um, and I remember back in the East Coast for the National the National Day of the Bible or something, where they would uh, spend the day reading through Scripture. And um, uh, I forget what what they called that, but right on the State House steps at Lawyers Mall, it was called in Annapolis. There was a what is it? Maybe it was the National Day of Prayer. I, I, perhaps it was. But we were all, we'd be gathered. And for 24 hours, there would be the reading of the scripture from this public vantage point. And people signed up. And I remember going down uh, somewhere around 8 at night or something, and you'd read for 15 minutes. And they'd have people from all different 
congregations or whatever. And 24 hours, you know, 2 o'clock in the morning, no matter what the weather, you know, they're, they're just reading the Word of God. And uh, I don't know if we read all the Scripture. I can't remember how it all was planned. Or maybe it was a week, you know, kind of a thing. That might be what they were doing here, where uh, they were round-robining in prayer, and different people prayed at different times. But they were intensely committed to it. Yeah. Uh, and I do think that that certainly comes in Scripture. I know that uh, there have been messages where people talk about finding rest in God and where there's no place in the Bible where it says you have to struggle in terms of prayer. But here's a passage, Romans 15 and 30, you know, saying just that. But I think there's two, there, are two, there may be two different issues. Of course, a lot of times in Scripture you've got these dichotomies, right? You have God is sovereign, yet we have a, a free will. How do you reconcile that? Well, you know, both are true. God is in control, and yet we do have a moral responsibility. We do make choices, and those choices have an effect uh, on what may happen in our lives and what may happen in the lives of others. So there is an impact, and what we do is significant. What choices we make are important, uh, and yet we're, we're, God is in control. So we're not supposed to be uh, neutral or passive but rather we're to be engaged and be uh, determining what it is that we are going to do. And Scripture says that, right? That in Philippians, where, uh, how does Paul put it? No, but I, but I mean, where is says, work out your own salvation for, with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work within you, you know? So you have that sort of uh, antinomous kind of statement. I think prayer is like that, too. There is a sense in which we can have confidence God's working his will out. And therefore, uh, we don't have to be anxious about what the outcome of our prayer will be or what our life will amount to. On the other hand, while that is true, that doesn't preclude us from praying fervently, earnestly. And J James says the same thing, right? The prayer of uh, availeth much. So uh, I, I think in some sense, we have to have confidence God's in control, yet we have a responsibility to be bringing all of our requests to God. As Paul will say in Thessalonians, right? Pray without ceasing. Pray, always be praying. It doesn't mean 24-7, but it means that there's never a time when we ought not to pray. I'm almost... I think it's the, it can't be the case. I think it's just the opposite. I think Paul is trying to tell us not pray so as to get God's attention, but pray so that you really get a sense of what God's will is in this matter and that you are, are as concerned about this matter as God might be. Now, that's never possible, but I think it's not a matter of getting God's attention. It's really a matter of you need to be attentive to the seriousness of this need. And it may not occur initially, but perhaps it will the more we devote ourselves to prayer. So Paul is saying to his readers, you know, don't just pray casually about this. I want you to be fully engaged with me. Does that mean everybody in Rome was? Probably not. But there were some who certainly did take his instruction to heart and were moved to do just that. Yeah, and in this, in this event, Acts 12, 
they're praying fervently. God is with them. And Peter's been in prison for seven days, so it appears that they were praying for seven days. They were praying earnestly for Peter. God was already at work on it. And when God answers their prayer, they're not aware of it. And they don't really believe it. You know, they're saying, you're, you're, you know, you're seeing visions. It's his angel. It's not really him. So maybe their fervency in prayer was not fervent enough yet, you know. But it was certainly significant. Yeah, yeah. And and the direction that you didn't really anticipate, you know, coming to the west side of the valley as opposed to the east side. And yeah, but God was at work like Peter. Um, Colossians also has a... Uh, speaks to this matter as well. Colossians 4, it says, Ephraphos, who is one of you and a servant of Messiah, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him. He's working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. So I like that phrase that Paul uses. He always wrestles. And I wonder if uh, he is working hard for you is not only in term, you know, in what way is he working hard? Well, one way that we know he's working hard is by wrestling in prayer. And uh, so this idea of Acts 12, 5, they are fervently praying. Romans 15, Paul says to agonize with me in prayer, strive with me in prayer, pray deeply, meaningfully fervently. Don't give up on this. I want to come to Paul, uh, to Rome. Here's a case where Ephraphos, who Paul is vouching for, is saying um, I, uh, uh, he wrestles in prayer. You know. So, so how ought we to pray? When we gather on a Sunday morning, um, now that we're in at least this one, one aspect, as a prayer team. And at the end of the service, if anyone has any particular needs and they'd like to meet us up here for prayer, we need to have in mind all the things we've talked about. But we now we're saying, so how ought we to pray with this individual who's come forward for prayer? We want to be able to pray fervently. And, you know, maybe that's not always possible. But if we realize that's what God would desire of us when we pray with this individual, perhaps that will help us to pray in a particular manner. We certainly want to convey to the individual that we're praying deeply for you. And maybe a quick, Lord bless this individual is not enough. So we want to think about fervency uh, in prayer with individuals who request and have needs. Now, your point's well taken, Mark, because we're sort of at a crossroads now. You know, we're at a transition point. We're at a turning point. The elders are thinking about a number of different things. And it may behoove us to think in terms of gathering on a regular basis, whoever can. Um, and maybe we individuals can't meet every week. You know, the same individuals can't meet every week. But maybe we need to be praying together, you know. And, you know, and as we look forward. Yeah, well, maybe that's what guys, you know, we started this this time together for the purpose of reigniting our prayer ministry team after, but maybe God has other things in mind, you know, about what um, 
what kind of praying ought to occur here at Beth Ariel. Certainly that. But maybe there's something else in addition to and over and above that God is in mind. Second thing is how then ought we to pray? Number one, we ought to uh, pray earnestly, fervently, seriously. Um, and then it says in Acts 12, 5, that their prayers were offered unto God. And so we want to remember that our prayers must be praying unto the Lord, but the person we may be praying for or those we're praying with are overhearing what we're saying. And that's why I said uh, uh, before, in some sense, we're teaching one another about prayer as we pray. We're also revealing to us what kinds of things are important about whatever the prayer request might be or the prayer issue might be as we talk to God. But ultimately, we, you know, some people find it difficult to verbalize their prayers because others are hearing them. So we always have to be mindful that while individuals are sort of peering over our shoulders listening to our conversation with God, we're really talking to him. And it's okay to make some mistakes at, along the way because God gets them straight and uh, you, you ought not to uh, feel imp imperiled by verbalizing your request um, because we're, we're talking to the Lord. Um, so a couple of things in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 uh, we're talking to the Lord. How is it that we can come into God's presence? How is it that we can be assured that we're addressing him? Well, the first thing is to realize that it is on the basis of what Messiah has done for us that we're coming into his presence. And so there ought to be an acknowledgement of that. It doesn't mean you have to necessarily verbalize that, but it doesn't necessarily hurt. You know, Lord, we're coming before you with this matter, whatever it might be, uh, because you've given your life for us. You've given your life for this individual. Whether the individual is a believer or not, we can pray for them and we can acknowledge before that individual our prayers to God are not just talk, but we can have boldness and confidence to come right before God because of what the Lord has done for us and because of what He's done for us. Not because of what we've received from Him, but what He's done for us we can have confidence to enter into God's presence. It's all about His grace. Prayer's a funny thing like that. Um, I remember years and years ago that um, when, I don't know, someone was putting statistics together about what was instrumental in leading particularly Jewish people to faith, it was non-Jewish believers who had Jewish friends and when these friends went through some kind of crisis or some kind of issue, the believer would say, I'm going to pray for you. And rarely would a Jewish person say, don't pray for me. You know, they're going to say, please do pray for me because I'm going through some really terrible things. Yeah, whatever it is. Right, right. But um, then what happens, what's that? Yeah, well, yeah, and that's right. But then when people pray, for, when the believers would pray for that Jewish individual who's not a believer going through something, and the something they're going through gets resolved or gets addressed one way or the other, and then the believer says, so what happened with that? I've been praying for you. And then they say, 
and you know it was really quite remarkable what happened that's right you were praying and that now then opens the door for spiritual conversation and many people have come many jewish people have come to faith through that kind of dynamic i'm going to pray for you god enters into their world and then they want to know more about the god you prayed so we have confidence to come into God's presence because of what he's done for us. And the other thing that's important in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 18, for through him we have access to the Father by, by the one spirit. And so there, there is two things, really. What Messiah has done for us, and we have re received what he's done for us, and the result of that is we receive the one spirit. We receive the true spirit of God. And the Spirit of God enlightens us and motivates us and enables us to pray uh, deeply and seriously and effectively. So prayers were offered unto God. Why? Because of what God has done for us through his Son and what he's given to us by his Spirit. And so right here we have sort of the triunity of God uh, implied or addressed. And thus our prayers are to God the Father on the basis of what Messiah has done, empowered by the Spirit of God working within us. And as the Spirit of God works within us in our prayers, we are then led more and more over time to pray the very will of God. And when we pray the will of God, well, it is answered, right? It's answered because it's the will of God. The third thing that the text tells us is not only... Um, that they prayed fervently in verse 5. So Peter was kept in prison, but prayer for him was being made fervently, and it was being made unto God. But thirdly, it was being offered for him. And so a couple of things come to mind. Their prayer was a definite prayer for a definite person. And thus their prayer was not a vague prayer. I think when I pray for individuals, I tend to pray vague prayers. You know, when individuals say, Gary, would you pray for me about this? I'll pray about it. But usually my prayers are pretty general. Maybe because I don't want to take the risk of praying something more specific and it not happening that way, you know. So I basically am very shy about overstepping the uh, parameters that the individual who's asked me to pray for has set. So would you pray that I get better? Lord, would you help her get better? Would you, you know, or I need a job. Lord, would you provide him with a job? <laughs> and I'm, that's pretty vague, I guess. I guess that's specific enough under that context. But when I've asked for prayer, from individuals and individuals here, the prayers are much more dramatic and much more specific than what I am prone to do. Now, that may be partly my personality and whatever, and whatever the reason. But it is kind of neat that they were praying specifically for Peter. Peter was on their agenda. So a number of things we can learn from this, and that is... That the individual, and this takes some kind of self-discipline, the individual must, must take center stage. You know, so often when someone comes to us, asks us to pray about something, 
we think about our own personal experiences where we've gone through a similar thing and what God has done for us, and then we try to encourage the person by virtue of what God has done for us with a similar thing. So what have we done? Sort of now we're not thinking of the person and what they're going through and what unique way God may address them, and we're automatically sort of imposing ourselves into that request, and we're thinking about us rather than about them. So the text here is telling us that they were praying for Peter. Peter was front and center on their minds, and their prayers were very specific, and the prayer was answered very specifically as well. They were praying for Peter's deliverance. And I don't know, you know how, how many different ways can you say it, you know, for seven days? You know, please deliver him, please rescue him, please let him out of jail, please, you know. Take care of them, keep them warm, I mean, give them some food, help the Romans. To, well, then you can get very specific. Send an angel to get them, to lead them out. And then, you're right. Yeah. You know, you see, I would not go down that road. You know, now Lorraine might. And that's exactly what did happen, whether they prayed for it or not. But the whole, my whole thinking is individuals are going to come and ask us for prayer. We want to keep them. You know, we're here to minister to them and not basically to um, utilize them to think about ourselves. And that's a maturity issue. That's a psychological issue. I mean, you know, all of us have psychological needs. And so in one sense, we, we need to do that, you know, because I need to tell somebody about me too. But we have to fight the tendency to make these prayer requests about us when it's about them and to be more concerned with them. Um, that passage in Philippians, you know, consider others better than yourselves, Paul says in Philippians 2. So when a person comes forward for a prayer request, we want to consider them better than ourselves. We're here for you, not for you to hear about me, but rather for me to hear what you need and to serve you. And that's what that passage sort of says to me. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and, and that's an important point because you can only give what you yourself have received. Right. So um, if we're going to be serious about praying for others, but you're not really serious about praying, you may be hard pressed to pray serious. For oh, how I would pray that an angel would come and lead them into the right choice. That's what I would pray. No, I, I would just I, I would. I, I would, my initial reaction is simply to pray that the Lord would grant them wisdom to be able to discern what direction that individual ought to take in a minute. And then I'd pray for an angel. Like, you know, <laughs> after that passage, you know. Um, and one last thing here. Uh, so he said four, it was four things on this, from this passage that, uh, how ought we to pray? Number one, our prayers ought to be fervent. They need to be serious. They need to be a wrestling with, um, a, a focus. Uh, so we need to pray fervently with our individuals that desire to be prayed for. Um, we need to um, pray f for him. We need to focus on, uh, on the individual who comes uh, to us. We need to be mindful that we're praying unto God. 
they are overhearing what we're saying, but in a way they're getting a window into our relationship with God and what we believe about God and what we can trust Him for. And uh, the last thought here, which goes to what Mark and Eleanor were sharing, um, is that prayer was being made by the congregation as a whole, by the church, by the body of believers. And so their prayer was a united prayer. I think it's a good thing to have more than one person praying for a given individual. I'm generally in uh, the service here on Sunday, if an individual comes up to me and says, would you pray with me about something? Um, I, I'm, I often, I don't know if I could say I do it all the time, but more often than not, I'll grab someone and say, or ask someone, can you join us for prayer? And I do think it's a good thing that uh, there's more than one of us joining with someone, praying with them together. It gives a sense of um, the body is now with you and not just a given individual, although that's wonderful, then the individual would be with you. But uh, there's, I think there's need for community. And this, is, this section in this passage is what made me think maybe we ought to have a monthly or every other month or quarterly, whatever it is, congregational gathering during the week for prayer, for worship. You know, sing a little bit, maybe a little devotional, and then we just spend the time in prayer together um, that we would seek the Lord and know his will. In the um, One of the things I loved doing back in Annapolis is, uh, and this didn't happen immediately, but over time, as we would celebrate the Lord's Supper, I always felt or looked at the Lord's Supper as a time in which we reflected on the spiritual healing that the Lord provides through his atonement and his giving of his life. And so I, I wanted to do, because I felt it was a natural segue from partaking of the elements that represented his broken body and his shed blood to invite people, if you have any special needs, some may be there who would like to invite the Lord into their lives to um, receive what Messiah has done for us spiritually. Some might have some kind of a physical need that they might have that they would like the Messiah of Israel to address. Some individuals that were there had emotional needs or financial needs or relational needs. And so I always felt a natural segue from our thinking about our spiritual need, our alienation from God, our need for him to forgive us of our sin, that we come before him and we do this in remembrance of what he has done for us to make us whole. But there are always parts of us that are in the process of being made whole, and there are parts of us that are broken, in which we are wounded. I thought a natural segue from those elements and we've given praise to God for what he's done. If, does anyone have any special prayer needs? And so I always invite them to come to, you know, a certain part of the, the uh, area we were worshiping in the sanctuary. And I'd have our elders and some other individuals there. And we would just take some time to be praying uh, for them. No, I, all, all I was saying there the reason why I knew people where they were at from the academy was because I had some midshipmen that we sponsored. And they would bring a lot of friends over. 
I also had individuals in our church who were professors at the academy who were also um, officers in the Marine Corps or in the Navy and even in the Army. So I got to get a sense, not because they came forward, so now tell me about your life, but because over time I got to know something of your life. But what I was referring to here with regard to the Lord's Supper was I just felt that reflecting on a need which is was of a spiritual nature because we're alienated from God and we're addressing that need that the natural segue was to invite individuals to have God address other needs in their lives as well and so whether I they were strangers and they were here for the first time or whether I knew them intimately, uh, yeah, that would certainly affect. If I knew someone intimately and they said, pray for my daughter, well, I know who her daughter is. Or pray for my son, well, I know what his son is. I teach her son, so I know what they're going through. You, you know, I still wouldn't overstep my bounds and assume they're thinking about something I'm thinking about, but I would lift up their kids. Absolutely, yeah. And uh, so, I again, I bring that matter up as a timing thing, you know, as I, as I look at this, this idea of being united in prayer, the congregation pray, and we celebrate the Lord's Supper. Uh, sometimes, I don't mean here, but I think we, that is the body of believers, we sort of rush through that moment a little bit. Uh, now, if you have a very big group, it can be very hard. However, I've got to tell you that one of the most significant moments when I've observed the Lord's Supper was at one of these creation, I don't know if they do that on the West Coast, but uh, a creation event, which was a three-day, um, it was in Pennsylvania, I think it was, where they had all these different Christian bands that would come and play and speakers and so on. And the last day, and they would have thousands upon thousands of people outside in, on the grass, you know, and it would be like nine o'clock at night and you just got lights shining down and yet somehow they figured out a way to get a piece of matzah and a, a cup of juice into the hands of everybody and even though it was so massive that moment there was very significant and I think part of it is because you're outside it's a one-of-a-kind moment you know it's very it's like being a camp but this was just huge you know but still I've always felt that um, the Lord's Supper can become a time of routine. So how do you make it less of a routine? And, and because there is that, in my mind, and maybe that's not true for everyone, but a natural affinity from thinking of a need met, in this case a spiritual need, and other needs that we would like God to meet, which he might or choose not to for whatever reason, that's a good time for the congregation to not just reflect for a moment or take the elements, be told we're remembering what he's done, and then we go on. You know, it's almost, to me, that's almost a moment when we need to take our time. And I realize time's a precious thing because there's only so much of it. You can never get any more of it. Um, and so you have to craft the service to provide for that. So you have to give up something somewhere else, of course. But again, I come back to the point 
that um, it's a wonderful time for um, congregational unity in prayer. And that's all I really meant, meant to uh, say. But uh, in Matthew 18, although we realize it has to do with judicial decisions, and we oftentimes focus on anything you ask, but what I want you to focus on is if two of you agree, where two or three come together in my name. The propensity is to look at the anything. Oh, can't we ask anything? Well, I want you to ask, um, what's the significance of coming together in my name? And the two or three, uh, rather than just thinking, well, God will do anything I ask. Um, what does it mean to have two or three agree? Does it just mean saying the same things, having using the same words, or truly being connected uh, to one another in um, in heart and soul? What's that? Well, certainly, the, and that's why I wanted us to get down to verse 24. It's the word of the Lord continue to grow. Right. I think that's true. Yeah. And and that's the idea of community. Um, and, you know, we have to come together in prayer about uh, direction and about um, what God would have us do in a given situation and a given circumstance. Now, there's no guarantee that that what we agree on is what God's agreed with. But nevertheless, that's a reflection of our own, you know, limitations as human beings. Uh, remember, this is a passage that deals with congregational discipline. You know, when somebody has something against them, you go to them. If they don't listen to you, you bring a witness. If they don't listen there, you bring the elders. And when the elders agree as touching what is the situation in this thing, that is what is acknowledged as true. And that's what I think it means, is touching anything that is brought to them. So I'm sort of taking this passage out of context, but because I want us to focus on the idea of coming together. All right, well, uh, okay, so this is where I wanted to close. I wanted us just to think about these four things from this passage. You can re review them. This idea of if we're going to read reignite our prayer ministry team, which we need to do. Remember what I said earlier. When I think, and there may be uh, transitions in this, but I'm thinking about individuals coming together with people in the congregation along with our elders to pray for individuals that may have needs. Now, I, I would love to see, and a lot of this has to do with time, but I'd love to see some folks come here early together uh, to pray for the congregation, for the service, before it, it gets launched, you know, before we get started. Eleanor and Lorraine are usually, have always been here, you know, coming together for prayer. Uh, and maybe that's something, you know, others can join together with so that we have a, a praying body. Part of our challenge, there's a number of challenges, but we don't need to think about that for a moment. But that's not what I'm really talking about, per se. I'm just looking at after service, and we want to say, if anybody has any special needs, um, you know, so-and-so, one of the elders will be here with, you know, whoever will be on for that day. We can assign different people um, so they don't have to do it every week, but so that we have a group of people who will be ready to pray with uh, those that are concerned. That's why we went through this. It doesn't mean everybody that goes through this has to do this um, because it's always good to learn, uh, to learn about prayer. 
So, and then what I'd like to do is to meet with those that would be engaged in this kind of ministry uh, or with one of the elders, perhaps on a periodic basis, just so that we can continue to review how are things going, uh, what issues have come up, and we also need to have a follow-up system. You know, we need to know, the elders need to know, or I need to know, who's being prayed for about what, so that I can make a phone call over uh, if they so desire. Uh, so that they know that, yeah, we're praying with you, but, you know, we have a congregational leader and we have elders that are concerned about you. And uh, if you'd like them to be in touch with you, I'll pass on the, the, uh, your name and a phone number or whatever. So we want to go to that uh, step as well so that we can do some follow-up work and uh, if they so desire it. Yeah, at least to say, uh, I, you know, some kind of, or maybe we make up a separate one. I don't know. But something that says, I prayed with so-and-so, here's their phone number, and now it's in our hands, the leadership, as to what we do with that. You know? And then at one of our meetings, we could talk about what's, what has transpired so you have an idea. We did make a contact. But a lot of times, we never hear the results. Right. You know, a lot of times, it just happens that way. But, and people may not want that. You know, so we have to ask them, would you like one of our elders to get in touch with you to uh, pray with you more personally? Or would you like to talk with one of them? Yeah, I would. Well, let me write down your name. Just make sure you write things clearly and with a phone number by which we can contact them. And then you can, you know, pass that on to me. Um, or we'll have to come up with a, with a, a system. She could make up some cars. I was going to say. You know, Michelle's working with us now, so uh, she can make up some cards. Um, but there's always going to be an elder involved, so it can just be passed on to that individual. But we'll have to come up with a system that really works, you know, and we will. Okay, is there any, any other questions? All right, so why don't you pray about whether or not you want to be involved in this kind of uh, ministry of praying with people afterwards, and just let me know on Sunday. Okay, so today's Wednesday. Uh, or you can email me um, or call me and let me know before that. But by Sunday, if you let me know. If you're interested. If you're not interested, you don't have to tell me anything. But just so that I, you know, you know just so that I know who, who might like to be involved with that. Yeah, just to, All right, so next Wednesday, we're not going to have this study so that you know that. And uh, we're, we're, I'm thinking about using Wednesdays to address other ministerial uh, developmental needs here as well. So next Wednesday, we may be doing something else, but you'll be informed if you want to come to that. My email is G Dereshinsky, that's my last name, at Gmail. And you can also send it to, the, to Beth Ariel, but I rarely look at the emails that come here. Some people have said, you know, I sent you six emails, you never write back, what's the matter with you? I said, really, I don't look at that. You know. So if you send it to me, I see it most of the time. As I said, a lot of times I, I just delete things, you know, because there's only so much time. You know. I'll sell you his cell phone number. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, just going through a whole uh, Bible doctrine kind of thing, right? That's, uh, that's another thing, and that's oh, certainly in my brain. Um, about prayer. I don't know if Wednesday night's the right time to do it. It might be a different night for some individuals that would like to get together to do it. 
But I think it's a key. It's a key thing that we need to, you know, we need to have a sound theological base. Yeah, you know, and I've thought about that. I go back and forth. I mean, eventually we're going to have so many home groups. There's going to be more than one on a given. You just can't do anything about that. You have to sort of make a choice, you know. Uh, but Wednesday night is just a good night here. It's like the middle of the week, you know. It's really... Uh, a, Well, we do. Yeah, but not every. But not. But if we use Wednesday night for various ministerial things, uh, not everybody's going to be involved in those ministries. So it's for a limited time, just to get that going. Well, okay. So let's uh, close in prayer, and uh, and we'll pray for. As, right, and also we have an election coming up next week. We want to pray for. Uh, what what's that? Right, right. <laughs> All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for our evening together. We pray that you would help us as we review all the things we've learned in the past few uh, weeks about prayer. And we also pray, Lord, that this night as we um, think about praying fervently, praying unto you, praying on behalf of others, um, and praying as one body, though we are many members. We pray, Lord, you will help us to do that. Help us as we relaunch our prayer ministry team, that it would be a blessing to all those uh, who would benefit from it. Help us to be good prayer warriors that wrestle well in prayer uh, regarding the issues that will be brought to the fore. And we pray that as we uh, do bring these concerns that others will have before you, that, Lord, you will enter into the midst of their circumstance and into the midst of their lives and that they will encounter you uh, most fully and most directly. And we ask, Lord, that uh, whatever we may be specifically praying about, may the result of those prayers always be uh, a closer walk with you and a nearer and deeper love for you as well. Lord, we would lift up to you um, those on the East Coast that are struggling without power. Some have lost loved ones. Uh, the devastation has been significant. And there are many that are without homes and in need of rebuilding. Uh, we do pray, Lord, that you will provide for their needs and that Many believers on the East Coast will uh, rally around those that are in need. And may you provide for those needs through them. And may they, as a result, bear living testimony uh, of your love, compassion, mercy, and grace. And then, Father, we lift up our nation to you. We know that all nations come to an end. And we know that one day... The nation of nations will emerge when Messiah's kingdom uh, dawns. And we pray that Messiah may soon come, that he would come quickly. But Lord, in the interim, we lift up our nation because it has been blessed by you. We have sought to be a good people uh, to those 
around the world as well as to our own citizens. Our nation has sought to bless the Jewish people and thereby have received great and untold blessings from you. And now as we reach this moment in our history, uh, we ask, Lord, you would look upon us one more time with favor and that we would uh, have a president that will lead us uh, out of our economic woes, that would be a president that would lead our nation to bring about greater peace, that you would raise up a president that would be uh, most loyal to our ally in, Israel, in uh, the Middle East, the nation of Israel. And thus we pray, Lord, uh, that you would raise up one who might change uh, the course that we have been on for many decades and might reverse even the moral morass that we find ourselves in as well. We have indeed become a nation that has turned our face away from you. But Lord, might we be a nation that repents of our error and may we turn our face back toward you for you always are looking for us. And you're always desirous of bring, reaching with your grace toward us. So, Lord, may we as a nation of people turn our hearts toward you, we pray. So, Lord, we do lift up our presidential and state and other kinds of elections that will be going on next week. And uh, we pray, Lord, that you would spare us and bring your blessing. Upon us, for we pray in the Messiah's name. Amen.